I'm ready. And welcome to another edition of the Nerdy Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brothers and fellow nerds, Josh and AJ. Today, we are going to flip the switch a little bit and talk a little bit more about real estate investing. Uh, this last week, our company that we own with our wives, Hive Lane, actually turned over seven rental properties in St. Louis Park. And so we thought that what a great time to kind of break down that process give you a little bit of knowledge and insight into it um, and kind of go over it in general. So before it's a fun we, day, wasn't it? I, and yeah, I don't know if you meant, I don't know if you year. meant to say it, but I kind of liked it. You didn't say flip the script. You said flip the switch, Yeah, flip the switch. which is like turn the lights on and let everybody know <laughs> what we're doing, mm-hmm. which is cool. Do we have a would you rather today, Luke? Yeah. Uh, well, I wrote would you rather of the week and there's nothing written there. So the question is going to be, would you rather live in a treehouse or a houseboat? That's actually kind of an awesome. It is tough, kind of fantastic. It's a really hard one. I swear we put in preparation for this podcast a lot of it. So um, apologize we missed the would you rather this week. It's a good would you rather though. Have you guys seen so those those dome houses where we stayed in um, Tennessee? They also their first one was a treehouse, and it's really freaking cool. But if I was on a houseboat, I would be fishing all day be amazing so i think a house, houseboat i'm I choosing think, houseboat i think i'd be in a houseboat too i'm afraid of heights so i like uh, i don't know like if i was living with my kids up in a treehouse i'd be afraid they're gonna fall out of the whole t- i guess i'm afraid of them in water too though it's terrifying i guess it, i'm just afraid I of my children you're, you're more scary. i think you should be more worried about the water than the than the height would be my guess. i just let my kids live in a life jacket all day long it also depends on the type right like if the treehouse is massive and the houseboat's tiny and, so well, and where, where, what, where is the houseboat? Is it on a lake, a river, or an ocean? Probably. Docked? I, if it's on a lake, I'm out. Yeah, it's kind of lame, right? Yeah, if it was on the ocean, it's the only option. But what about like the it's Mississippi River and you just ocean, houseboated? Though, your houseboat's going to get just What if you just houseboated all the way from Minnesota down to Louisiana on your houseboat? back over and over again. I'm, I'm a houseboat. I'm, I'm definitely team houseboat. And I think now is a good time for our bonus segment this week. It's the sports, sports, sports segment of the week. Uh, we're going to make that a new thing. Maybe do it I every don't week know. Anyway. I, it's just awesome news, and I don't know that that Josh knows it. And I was talking to Alex, my financial advisor, on the way here, and he's like, "I'm watching CNBC. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt this, but this is crazy. Live Golf merging with the PGA Tour. So they they're merging. That's insane. Why? Why? Because they're probably getting killed right now because they lost all those so good basically guys. Basically, the the <laughs> they're justified LIB with spent all all this money buying all these players, and then they're just merged them back in. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so now crazy. all the same players will be playing again under the same umbrella. Exactly. And that's all you have for the sports sports segment of the week. That is pretty wild. Well, it's wild, yeah. I'm I'm very interested interested to see how that goes. Um, so let's get into let's get into turnovers. So to start, yes, June one is my favorite day of the year yeah. because the weather's perfect and I'm running around to rental properties all. And day then on long. June second through fourteenth, we're fixing all the things that were missed. Um, to start, just tell the tell the listeners why this info is important. So you don't own a single rental property; you're you're just a real estate agent. You don't work with investors. Why should you learn about this? Like, why does it matter? I mean, as a real estate agent, it's important to have a, a multitude of clients. And I think we've talked about investors a lot on this, but um, I think when times are unique, having a like it's like think about the stock market. You're supposed to de- a, de- invest into a wide array of things so that your portfolio is insulated from weird things happening within one segment of the market. Same goes with how you think about your client base. So having investor clients who are uh, unique versus your move up buyers versus your first time home buyers and different areas of the of the area you serve 
it's really important because the more types of clients you have, the more you're insulated from a market downturn. So there's a lot of agents right now that are struggling because they have only move up buyers in only one area. And there aren't that many of them right now because of the way interest rates have changed the game for them. But if you have investor clients that maybe have cash, maybe right now they're buying a lot because rental rates are good and they don't have a lot of other places to put their cash. So for that reason, I think understanding investors and A, what they are looking for, but also B, what they have to go through on the back end as investors after the fact helps you explain to them, oh, I have, for me, it's like I have 16, soon to be 17 rental properties. Here's how our turnover process works. Here's what we do for that. Um, I can provide knowledge and benefit to them of A, what they're getting into, but also B, you know, like how my process works so you can be better at it if you're going to go down this road. And for those who may not know, not to not to start too basic, but just just so that people understand, tell them what we mean by turning over a house. Yeah, I mean, this is just the time between uh, one lease ending and another lease beginning. So like we said, June 1st is a big one for us. It's when a lot of our, our leases begin. Um, so a lot of those end obviously at the end of May. So the turnover process is just the time between the two leases. And typically on ours, I, I know other, other, uh, property owners might have different processes, but how much time do we have in between leases? Like, what is that? 24 hours. So like May 31st, they move out at noon. We hope so. Sometimes they don't read yeah, their lease and they ask us for extra that's, time. That's what we put on ours. So for the May people 31st at noon. June 1st at noon is move in. So there's a 24 hour period. The reason for that is because a lot of, we're, we're trying to be thoughtful about what our tenants need. A lot of times their lease will end on their prior place at May 31st at noon. So they're kind of stuck. So if we're like, we need 72 hours to turn it over in that case, it kind of hurts them because they don't have a place to live. So most of them would understand that we're not going to be perfect in getting seven places completely ready by in 24 hours. Uh, but they'd rather have a place to come to and us give them a list of all the things we're going to fix on that house after they moved in versus tell them they have to wait a week to find a place to live. And let's go, I want to go step by step through our whole process from the beginning then. So I can throw out, I'll, I'll chime in here as well. The first step that happens is on Josh's end. You reach out to every single tenant what, two, three months in advance? I try to look at, talk to them 90 days in advance. The more time you can have on the front end of knowing if a tenant's moving in or moving out, the more time you can have to prepare and the more time you can have to find another tenant. On our side, as we look at it, this is more on an investor as if you were an investor thinking about it versus a agent thinking about helping investors. But the investor is going to be thinking about how they can maximize their financial situation. And so the less time you have between tenants, the more money you're essentially bringing in. So if you're paying a mortgage, but you have no one living there, you're losing money. But if you have zero vacancy because someone moves out on the 31st and someone moves in on the first, you lose zero in rent and you can maximize your profits there. Um, the other thing I think I've, we, is important, but one note that I've made specifically in our local market is because it is super seasonal. And it's probably super seasonal everywhere though when it comes to tenants. A lot of our tenants are um, you know, first time home renters that are probably recent college grads that are looking for a place to live with their friends after they graduate. So because of that, we tend to have a very cyclical period where the leases are very desirable and other times where they're not as desirable. So if you're looking at this, I'm like, why are you turning seven houses in one, one day? It's because June is a very advantageous time for us to find tenants. We can rent our houses very quickly and at top dollar during that time frame versus if it was December. You know, or we're in September we're seeing right now. Yeah, we're ours. giving up hundreds of dollars a month in terms of vacancy and in terms of our rental rates. So being able to explain that when I when I talk to my first time investors and I can kind of like, like you want to line your lease dates up with when people are looking for your type of property. 
um, there's a light bulb every single time I mention that to them because they're like, oh, I never thought that it would be harder for me to find tenants in different times of year and I'd have to make a lot less money on this rental property. They've just been leasing it October to October so, every year. So step one, 90 days out, you reach out to the tenants, you ask them, are you planning on releasing? Are you planning on moving? What's that look like? So you can prepare. Step two is then finding a new tenant. Yep. What's that look like? Well, I mean, for us, it's Josh posts them on um, Zillow. Sometimes we'll just post one of them or two of them and see kind of what the traction is on those ones. Usually, oftentimes, some of the best ones when we have the best photos, if they're um, already leased out, then Josh has the opportunity to say, well, we have this other one available. Um, And they're all posted onto our website as well. Once I think you find those tenants that want to lease those properties, it gets kind of into our standard leasing process. Before we get to that, the the one thing I do think, unless you were going to touch on it, the one thing about the finding the tenant that I feel like we do really well is we get professional photos on all of our houses. Yep. We try and get Matterports where we can, which is for those who don't know the 3D tour that you can click around. We try and have homemade videos of the units and we've actually been able to rent the majority of them without people even seeing them in person because of this, which has kind of sped this whole process up. It helps a lot. I mean, I think most landlords, one of the biggest mistakes they make or most property management companies is, it drives me nuts, but like I have clients that will work with a property management company and the property manager will come in and be like, all right, yeah, let me take a, let me get in with you before the closing so I can take a few photos for the, to make sure I can find them attended as quickly as possible. And they literally show up with their iPhone and they like shoot a few iPhone photos of the house and then they leave. I'm like, you're the property manager and all you're doing is shooting iPhone photos and posting it on Zillow. Like, what are you actually adding in terms of value? Um, we've worked really hard to make sure our listings stand out. So if it's on Zillow, if it's on Shook, which is a new site that we're going to probably be t- moving most of our people over to, it's local here in Minneapolis, but it's super cool. Um, or if it's on our website, which we actually try to push up through, um, some of the, you know, online algorithm stuff, uh, in the, in the searches in like St. Louis park rentals, we try to make sure our presence is felt. And so people can find us and they can tour certain things. Um, I also work really hard to have very specific templated responses so that even if someone finds my, my listing on Zillow, I can push them to our website, show them that Matterport tour, send them an overview of the property. Uh, talk about our process, all of that. So it is relatively templated throughout, but the goal is always to make sure that you're providing them with as much information as possible, both in terms of what the property looks like, the quality, and so they can truly see that and get excited about it. The same thing you would do with the listing, right? If you're listing a house, your goal is to get as many eyeballs on it and to have those eyeballs be very excited to want to walk in that door. Um, on a rental property, it should be the same thing, but most people don't usually think of it that way because it's just a rental. It's not a listing. So um, we work hard on the photos, we work hard on the videos and then process, be very, very clear in the process in terms of how is this going to work, right? I tell all our people that reach out, I might get 40 requests in 24 hours. I say the first person that puts on this deposit reserves their spot at the front of the line because from a fair housing standpoint, I can't pick and choose my people. Um, that a sets an expectation for everybody of this is how it's going to go. B though. It, well, I mean, B, it makes sure we fit within all the fair housing regulations, which is very important to us as landlords that we're not prioritizing or picking or choosing our tenants. As long as they meet our criteria, they are automatically in. Um, but from a standpoint of C, it kind of creates a little bit of pressure on the potential tenants of saying like, well, there's how many people are reaching out about this? I'm like, a lot of people are reaching out about this. We're going to have an open house on Saturday, but this is our process. If someone puts a deposit down early, they put a deposit down early. I can't control that. And so a lot of times people will be excited enough about the photos alone or walk the Matterport tours to say, I really want this house. I'll put a deposit down. I think, I think D it shows them that we're an ethical company 
that they're working with professional people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how you compared it to real estate listings too, because we, we have sort of put our own spin on being a landlord or a property owner, or manager, whatever you want to call it, where we think that the tenant is sort of our client. Yep. So we don't treat it like an adversarial relationship. We treat it like they're our client. We want them to be comfortable and feel good about living in our house. And that's part of, I think, our system and process. At least when I meet with people, I say, we self-manage all our own properties. Um, we know a lot about these houses. We remodeled them ourselves. Uh, if something breaks, like we're the people that are going to respond to you and have somebody out here to fix it. And we want it fixed too because it's our house. And I think that kind of flies in the face of a lot of local, national, whatever, property management companies that say, submit this ticket and we'll get back to you within 72 hours. You know, And it's like, if it smells like gas in the basement, shoot me a text and I'll tell you to leave the house. And we'll get center point over there to take a look at it. If your furnace breaks, we'll drop off some space heaters. We'll get it fixed as soon as we possibly can. And we've got the contractors to do that because we do the remodeling on all these projects. So I think just the tone that we set from the get-go does help us a lot with getting people into these properties and feeling good about them. So so we then, we get it leased. And then typically in the, the week prior to the turn is when we do what we call the punch list. Can you run with kind of what that looks like? Yeah. So, um, obviously like we've talked about, we don't catch everything cause there's typically still a bunch of furniture and boxes and things everywhere. Um, like one that I saw the other day where there was a broken outlet and I'm like, well, there was a couch there when I walked through this house before. So I didn't see the broken outlet cover. Um, but we go through and we look at things. A lot of them end up being safety type issues, right? So want to make sure your smoke detectors are working and your CO detectors are working. Want to make sure that if there's a handrail that fell off the wall that we kind of prioritize that so that when they move in, they've, they've got a handrail to get down to the basement. And we kind of set this year, we, we did like low, medium, high priority items. So touch up paint um, usually is getting done before they move in. Handrails getting put on are usually done before they move in. Smoke and COs usually done before they move in. But there's smaller items like uh, I think we had like a piece of kitchen hardware fall off on one of the houses. It's like, okay, they don't need that necessarily right right now. We want to make sure that it matches. So we're going to order that piece and we'll get it in within the first couple of weeks of them living there, but they can still use their kitchen functionally and safely without all of the hardware on all of the doors. Right? So if there's certain things that we just don't get to, um, then we're not going to necessarily do them right, right away. But to your point, we do that punch list prior to on every house, make a list, congregate all the information, and then we reach out to the applicable contractors to fix the stuff. Yep. So then we typically split it up. So AJ does half. I do half typically on that front. Uh, we send that to Caitlin, my wife. She packages that all up, sends it to the handyman to go fix whatever he can before they start to, to move even. So he'll go and fix any items that he can fix while the previous tenants are still in the house. And then I want to get into day of then. So May. I think it's important to call it too. What we do is I'm in advance, probably two weeks in advance. I'm reaching out to all of the tenants coming in and coming out and figuring out exactly when their move out move-ins are happening. So even though your lease starts at noon on June 1st, if you're not moving in until June 7th, I can maybe work a little bit differently in terms of how I'm prioritizing. Or if your move out happens May 31st, but you're like, I'm out of the house on May 24th. We can do a lot more. We kind of line people up. So we're... We're trying hard in advance to logistically say we got seven turning, but here's when they're actually turning. So maybe two or three of these we can knock out earlier or a little bit later and prioritize when the handyman, painter, cleaner, prior, primarily those are big three 
are able to get in and fix up these things. So one more note then, two weeks in advance, we typically also are having Emily schedule the cleaner to, to yes. have her kind of ready to go through in a specific order. And then any Matterports, any uh, professional photos that we haven't gotten to for whatever reason, we're also getting those on the calendar. Yep. Um, so then you get to you get to day of, then Hanny Mains already came through to some of them. He keeps going through to the other ones. And then the painter's also scheduled to kind of run around. Yep. Um, we also added in a new... Uh, process I'd call it this year where we kind of had different people I mean we were at most of the houses anyways but we had different people kind of go to different houses can you kind of talk on that a little bit yeah I mean what we found in the past was if everyone had a job to do it was fine but no one really owned ensuring a house was perfect so we like to think of every house when you move into that house as a new tenant it should be like you're on it at your Airbnb you show up for that Airbnb you walk in the door and the house looks the way that you expected it to so the last thing we want is for you to show up and have the paint look terrible throughout or the, the house, grass, not be the cut. grass, not be cut. So like there are little one. things like that that have happened in the past. And so every time that's happened, what we've done is we've created a new process flow, which is like add a step to make sure three days before turnover happens that you tell all the tenants that they need to mow the grass one last time and then go over to the house. But if you have an owner for each house, the last two to three days, that person probably stops over there once a day just to make sure things are still looking good. Things are still moving along. And if there is anything that the handyman hasn't done yet, or is there anything that the cleaner hasn't done yet, um, just making sure it's right. The day of, making sure all the lights are turned on and making sure the garbage actually all got out of there, or the prior tenant got all their stuff out of there. Um, that's really the main reason for it is just one last touch point because having one person do that at seven houses is, is too much, frankly, for us. So then, so that's, I would say that's like May 31st afternoon, right? The handyman comes through, cleaning kind of starts. The painter gets to where he can in the morning the next day that finishes all up we go back to the houses one more time to make sure that they're finally ready um sometimes we have snafus in this situation for example at one of our houses on the front uh sidewalk curb this last week there was a lot of garbage just sitting there a ping pong table the garbage was overflowing so the city wouldn't even take it a bunch of other stuff in that situation the nice thing about that is that we went there and we saw that garbage before the tenant gets to the house, right? Yep. So you go look at it right before they come in. We message the tenant and say, hey, this is here. Like we know it's here. It's right. going to get picked up. We've already texted somebody about it. Again, just talking about um, setting the correct expectations. That's really important. That's the key, right? Is anything you have, right? Like think about every experience that you have in your life. If you walk into a hotel room, right? Or you walk into an Airbnb or you, you go to a baseball game like you have expectations for what that environment is going to look and feel like so we like to think about it as we should know if we were walking into that experience as a new tenant things that would bother us and so understanding what those things are beforehand and then just messaging the tenant be like I so I'm in charge of essentially communication with tenants because I'm the one who finds them and helps lease them on the front end um, up until a certain point. So on the front end, I just ask for the everyone else in our group when they're going to those houses to say, here are the things that I think I would be bothered by if I moved into this house today. Because then I can just text and say, hey, in this case, hey, Levi, just want to let you know the prior tenants moved out, but they left a lot of garbage right out front. It really bothers me that this happened for you, but know that we are communicating with our guy who's a trash pickup guy. He will be here as quickly as possible, but I can't promise that he'll be there prior to your move in. I'm really sorry, but we know that we're on it. As long as you're communicating those expectations up front, the tenants that are moving in aren't going to be upset about it. They're saying, oh, you noticed this. Oh, you're working on this. This will be taken care of. Um, and there's only so much you can control because you had 24 hours to get me into this property. So 
that's made a big difference in terms of expectations. But if that same person doesn't get that text message and they drive up to that house for the first time and they're going to move in, and in some case, maybe they're the bringing lawn has their, been mowed. <laughs> and they're bringing their parents to see their first ever rental house. And their parents are like, what is this? The lawn's not mowed. There's garbage everywhere. There's paint splotches that or paint spots that haven't been done. Like there's all this stuff that's going to set a really bad tone for the next 12 months. And frankly, as I will admit, we've had times where because of logistically when they moved in, when people moved out, that it hasn't been perfect. Um, it does create a lot more work on your side too, as a property manager to essentially pacify the situation and then keep that tenant happy moving forward. Cause they're going to have a really bad starting point with you. So then, so then the tenant moves in, they start to live in the house. Assuming we got the paint touch-ups done, we fixed a decent amount of stuff. They will they will complete what's called the move-in inspection form checklist. Yeah, checklist. They will make a list of all of the items um, that still need to get fixed, any touch-ups that need to happen. They send that to us, um, and then Caitlin gets that all scheduled for them to go back out there, kind of kind of final fixes to make sure that everything's finished up. Yeah, and a couple of things just thrown before that, even get to that point too, is like I do a lot with communication on, I, I built a lot of templates over the years of like, here are the most important things to make sure I message to moving out tenants and moving in tenants. So things like moving out tenant needs to mow the grass three days before, send them an email. Moving in tenant needs to make sure they get all of the utilities set up, send them an email, you know, two weeks in advance to make sure they do that with Centerpoint and the city and Excel. Um, you know, things moving out tenant needs to make sure they take care of these bills before they can get their security deposit back. I'm messaging these different things at certain touch points just to make sure that we're communicating all that. And then also I, there was a point where I'm no longer actively involved because Luke and Caitlin are managing a lot of the tenant relationship post start lease date. So I have a template called welcome, a few things to know, right? Here are all the big things you need to take care of right before you move in. Also, here's a handoff to the people who are going to be taking care of you from this point forward. Reach out to them and make sure that you message them going forward from there. And then Kate will jump on that email and say, hey, it's so great to meet you. Please let me know what I can do to help you out. Um, once again, you're creating these processes and these procedures, but also they help ensure that's a really clean, smooth transition uh, throughout that lease time frame. Um, and then what was the question again? Sorry, I got off my That tangent. was the last thing. So that's the finalized. That's the, that's the finish there. So... I want to get into a few backend questions on that I, and because I feel and I and I'm sure there's a ton of investors out there that have banged their head against the wall, made this process as good as possible for themselves. And we've done a pretty decent job, I'd say, at, at that. Where are we? So the listeners have an idea, like, where are we still seeing problems? Where can we still improve on this turnover? I, I think on bandwidth, mostly. I mean, like we saw with seven, how many, how much, you know, hours it took with different people to be doing different things. And then we still have things to fix after the fact. So it'd be interesting to know, and I've talked with you guys about this, like who can we meet with that does 50 turnovers? Like what does that look like if you did 50 turnovers in one day? How many people do you need? How many different cleaning groups do you need? How many different handymen do you need? Employees. How many, yeah, employees and people and uh, availability to make sure that the experience, to Josh's point, is still the same for every single person. And I think it's just mostly you need people, um, which is a, I, I think why a lot of landlords say, I've kept my rate the same because I don't want to turn the property over, right? Yep. It's a lot of work. Um, it's also expensive. It's expensive. But to that point, I think twofold. One, uh, doing a turnover requires that you bring the house back up to a certain standard. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't go into disrepair. Whereas when someone lives there for 10 years, you could end up with a lot of paint touch up and a lot of things falling off walls and being yep. problems that they just don't mention to you that you end up not, that, that you have to fix when they move out after 10 years. So, 
those properties can end up with an immense amount of necessary effort to turn over. Um, that was my second thing I was going to say. Oh, but also we increase the rents by a hundred, 200 oftentimes on these turnovers. So yep. you end up spending a lot of money to Josh's point, but at the end of the day, you do end up with a ton of profit on top of that for the increased rental rates. And especially with the economy and the market we're seeing, our rental rates have gone up and up and up. And we were worried for a long time. Oh, we're never going to blast through the 3000 a month mark. And now some of them are 3250, 3300. The one we're going to work on right now might be 3400. Like they're, they're getting more and more expensive to rent. Um, but for us, that's, that's improving our business as a whole. Yeah, I think we, so we're meeting tonight. We, we have a week, a monthly meeting at this point, but we, Luke and AJ and I meet weekly as well to talk through all these things, um, to continue to try to improve process. So where are we seeing gaps? What are we not doing? Um, we have a turnover time, like I call it timing in action. I used to work in the corporate world, but it was like, this thing needs to be done on this date. Is it complete yet? If not, when is it going to get done by and have those like step by step by step discussions? Um, but we're always looking to improve. So I think we learned this year, I mean, even some things to simplify the turnover process from a, from like a, what paint colors are in every house? Where do we track all of that? And ensure that we know what paint colors are in every house and we blue tape that house before that turnover happens and we put a can of that paint out for that painter. So he comes in, he knows exactly what to paint and what color to use versus like he gets there and goes, hey, what color, where are the, the colors in the basement don't match? Do I need to go to Sherwin-Williams? And then you're paying more for that turnover because he's got to go buy more paint and he's got to spend time doing things that maybe aren't efficient. So we're always looking to maximize the efficiency side of this. And I think there's learnings that we get every year. Um, but the goal is to continue to make things better. I think we're going to consolidate a lot of our data, things we know about the houses into more of a one master file, right? We talked yep. about that. Um, Kristen and my wife even had the idea of having like a drop down where I can put a house, like have the list of all the houses and I can do a little drop down and find like 2616 Kentucky. And then there's like all of the things we need to know about that house all just pop up and appear right away. Um, we're running short on time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we continue to do, but we'll, uh, we'll keep working. So on. I just want to get into this one thing. So I, I think the one I I'd imagine there might be listeners out there going, well, you guys own 17. Like you're, you're so far, so far removed from where I am, where owning zero or buying my first one or what that looks like. And so I just wanted to put this out here. I'm not even going to ask you the questions because we don't have time for that. But I was, I put in here, if you were to start today as an investor and you were starting over, you're buying your first unit, what would the first thing you put into place be? What would you implement for turnovers? And I was thinking about this last night and I thought the first thing I would do, cause on our duplex, it was like, I'm going over there doing everything. Mm -hmm. I'm fixing it. I'm painting it. I'm cleaning it. Right. The first thing I would do is I would start subbing out all the cleaning, all the repairs and get that process so perfect for one house that it seems like I'm going overboard. But what it's gonna do is it's gonna help you scale so much faster. Cause we had to kind of like fly this process in when we got to five last year and it was like, oh crap, we have to figure this out quickly. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you can figure it out when you're on your first or second unit, you can scale that so much faster. So I would really focus on the process of subbing out the turnover repairs and cleaning and paint if you are buying your first unit today to finish up. Whoever can do it super quickly. If the listeners were to take one thing from this, uh, let's say to help them be expert real estate advising, uh, expert realtors advising investors, what should they remember? I would just say um, being as process and systems oriented as possible is very, very important and know what you're getting into if you're going to become a landlord. 
Love it. Yep. I think the know what you're getting into thing is huge, but also be okay with the fact that you're not going to be perfect on your first one. Continue to try to learn along the way, but the longer you do this, the better you get at it and the better you're going to be at both ensuring that your tenants and your clients are really happy with you. Um, but also just being able to be successful for yourself at doing this, right? So our first one was a disaster. Our first turnover was a disaster. We've always been that way in terms of trying to improve. But the more that we've done this, the better off that we've gotten and we'll continue to get better. Love it. And that's all we have this week for the Nerdy Agent Podcast. And as always, remember, be better. Be